In the introduction to this book, I hope I have challenged the assumption that literature is inherently peaceful, either a non-combatant or a tragic victim of conflict. Indeed, books and publishing have deep roots in the history of warfare. Wars set people against people, nation against nation, and tested the power of competing ideologies. Libraries, as the seeding grounds of these ideologies, were often deliberately targeted for destruction. For libraries, from the time of ancient Greece and Rome to the public library movement of the 19th century, had never simply been collections of books. They were also a public demonstration of a society's values, occupying prestige space in the city centre, often the gift of a community of leading citizens. Destroying these institutions was a thrust at the heart of an enemy's society. Libraries would also be destroyed as part of the symbolic humiliation of the defeated. The obliteration of your most precious objects, of the stored cultural heritage of a civilization, was a means of putting the contest of competing ideologies beyond repair. For the Aztec and Mayan empires, the destruction of their books by Spanish conquistadores was not just a demonstration of power, it was also a ritual denigration of their system of beliefs, a sign that their gods could not protect them. The Nazi troops who in conquered Poland burned the sacred books of Jewish communities orchestrated a similar ritual, insisting that the local Jewish population were forced to witness the defiling of their most sacred texts. In the brutal battle for Sarajevo in 1992, Serbian troops deliberately aimed their artillery at the National and University Library of Bosnia-Herzegovina. In the same way that in 1981, a Singhalese mob had laid waste the Library of Javna, the central repository of Tamil literary culture. Both the victims and the perpetrators knew just how much cultural meaning was bound up in these collections. From the Roman general Sulla parading through Rome with the looted library of Aristotle, to the author Stondahl's tour of German libraries searching out books for the new National Library of France on behalf of the all-conquering Napoleon, victorious generals have always seen books, like works of art, as legitimate plunder. For the Swedish armies of the Thirty Years' War, 1618-48, to 48, such cultural appropriations served a double purpose, to stock the libraries of their universities and towns, while at the same time depriving their religious opponents of the text vital to building the Catholic faith. The Swedish ransacking of the libraries of Central Europe was organized with all the precision of a military campaign. On accepting the surrender of a town, the Swedes would seek out local dignitaries who could lead them to the principal archives and libraries. The contents would be carefully guarded until they could be packed and shipped back to Sweden before distribution to the Royal Library, the University of Uppsala, or grammar schools. Some were lost in a disastrous fire at the Royal Library, but the rest are still in Sweden. Surprisingly, there has never been the same clamour for the return of looted books as misappropriated art. So, the historical roots of themes pursued in this book the birth of military strategy, the war of intelligence, or the importance of accurate map-making, are deep. Yet for all that, there is also clear evidence of a quantum shift in warfare and its implications for the library world in the last two centuries, that is, from the middle of the 19th century onwards. The transformation of war-making had three main elements, the professionalization of the military, especially of the officer class, the industrialization of weaponry, and the mobilization of the civilian population, eliding the distinction between combatant and non-combatant. 
This had enormous impact on the role of the book in wartime, and the impact of warfare on library stock. This era was also a time of transformational change in the Western world, to this point the main incubator of the library movement. Between 1800 and 1914, the population of Europe increased from 180 to 460 million. In the United States, growth was even more spectacular, from 5 to 106 million. Much of this population growth went to provide a workforce for the new industrial economy. Integrating these new citizens into the social fabric required, above all, a vast increase in educational provision. This fueled a concerted drive toward compulsory education in both Europe and America. 